Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're going to be talking about The Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos prequel movie. And we'll be talking with Dr. Ben Lamb, who's a lecturer in media at Teesside University, author of Your Nicked, investigating British television police series. But the series we're going to talk about today is an American crime one. Hello, Ben. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Or as they say in The Sopranos, whoa! <laughs> 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 so you wanted to come on the podcast uh, to talk with us because you're a mega fan of The Sopranos, right? That is correct. I'm not familiar with the show really at all. I mean, I do know of it, but I've seen the first episode and that's, and the final scene, and that's it. Oh, wow. Jose, you, you're familiar with the show, right? Yeah, I know the show. So actually, I think a good way of beginning is to ask you, Ben, since you know more about it than, than any of, of the rest of us, how well does this situate and connect to the series. Mm, I think there's there's four things I really liked about this film. Um, okay. I thought I thought the the main thing for me was some of the casting, not all of the casting. There was some problematic casting, but I think the way they cast uh, to- Tony Soprano's mother, uh, Paulie Walnuts was really good. Uh, Tony's father. I think that some of the key characters who really brought a lot of life and character to the series, most of them weren't really overplayed. I think they, they, I think they spent a lot of time on the casting and they had the key mannerisms, but also brought a lot of weight and made the role their own. I think um, Tony's mother in particular was really good. Mm-hmm. And what I found interesting, I don't know about your screening, my screening was absolutely packed. It's the most full I've seen a cinema. We we couldn't get a, a, a half six screening. We had to go at like 20 past four on a Friday. Mm-hmm. I hope my employees aren't listening. <laughs> and uh, even, <laughs> even then it was full. And we had people sat next to us uh, um, who were you know, mega fans, and they were really excited, and they were laughing at key mannerisms and the sort of way mm. the roles had been interpreted, being fans of the show themselves. So I thought that worked uh, really well. We didn't have any of that, Ben. Oh. Uh, we had a pretty empty screening. We were seeing it at 20 past two on a Sunday. Did you see it on, like, the day of release or something like that? Yeah, it was the, it was, it was the day of release, yeah. yeah. So that's, right. that so might have been kind of a bit more into it. The yeah. other thing was our, our screening was subtitled, which I did know about, but I completely forgot, and I didn't tell you. Mm. Um, and actually, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. The um, other interesting thing is that halfway through our screening, you began to get this immersive smoke of pot. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a particular kind of soprano fan here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone lit up. I found that really fucking annoying. So, Ben, what were the other two points? I don't want to lose sight of it. I just wanted yeah. to interject. Sure. I, what, what I really liked about this was um, how often often a lot of films or spin-offs or prequels, when they add something to a television series, they can, they can ruin the mystery or the, or the aura, mm. especially with prequels. I thought mm. this didn't manage to do that. So you think about Star Wars and the, this um, Darth Vader being evil and this ungodly things happen to him. When you see that happening to Hayden Christensen, who's a terrible actor, it, it ruins and undoes <laughs> a lot of the, the mystery. Whereas I thought, partly maybe it's as a re- result of Michael... Uh, Gandolfini being a limited actor, but I think they did they did a lot to um, not overplay him and still have a bit of an aura and a bit of mystery to the character. Also, I didn't think the 60s was too heaped in nostalgia. Often some, a period piece can be full of, you know, sun, rose-tinted glasses, sunny uplands, music constantly blaring, you know, and, mm. and the film's trying to tell you, wasn't weren't things better back then? Whereas this, it was a bit more... There was some nostalgia to it, but it was very reserved in trying to show you that actually things were quite quite bleak back then, and it was every man for himself and families constantly fighting. Mm. So I think it's a smart thing to set it around the Newark race riots. Yeah, you know that kills the sense of wasn't stuff great back then because mm. stuff is not great at all, and there's a backdrop of quite quite an explicit backdrop of racial tension and racial violence to the whole thing. Mm. And I'm right. Am I right in thinking, Ben, that that's new? I don't remember. You know, much. Uh, I don't remember many black people from the series at all, actually. You know, but kind of. I certainly don't remember any racial tensions. I think. Am I, I th- right in thinking that? Yeah, there there are one or two episodes, um, and it, it, it's quite alarming when it happens. It, there's there's an episode where Tony Soprato's daughter starts dating a black man at university, and and Tony completely overreacts and tells him to get out of the family. And there's another there's another episode where. 
there's a bit of a rivalry. I think Chris wants to become a a, a rapper, uh, Chris Soprano. Mm. So there's, there's there's this this sort of tension about not getting too involved. So I think it did actually help enhance the certain episodes because the um, yeah, there's a bit there's a bit of racial tension and it could seem a bit outdated. But now you know the sort of environment the characters were in within the race riots and um, mm. how tense things were. It it does actually help do that bit of world building, which I, I quite mm. liked. I think it's uh, in, in in the film, it's it's structural, it's essential. It kind of redefines it anyway, because you know it sets up an Italian underworld of really an oppressed social formation, and then kind of clearly shows the shift here of how you know they themselves are the oppressors in a very uh, 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 triumphant way, also right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it immediately creates a dimension for the world, I think, uh, that was lacking uh, before. Um, I don't know what you thought, but my view was that it was a very good screenplay, but it's not a very good film. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and that connects in a way to, you know, this is a prequel, but it's a film. Yeah, kind of, the other thing is a television series. I, th- I think that um, I didn't see the visual potential in kind of making it a big screen, you know, cinema experience evident in the film. I mean, what did you think, Mike and Ben? Um, I, well, I quickly looked at kind of Rotten Tomatoes after I came out of the film to get the gist of what people thought, and it seems to have got very mixed reviews. And I said that to Jose, and we reflected that we weren't that surprised about that. Um, for someone who knows nothing really about these characters, about the history and everything, I, I knew there was stuff I was missing histories of characters and things um and i'm sure there are all sorts of links but for me that was really lost on me um the film felt like it really lacked narrative drive i mean an hour and a half as it turned out into the film i checked my phone to see how long it had been because i i I, despite the fact i enjoyed like every scene i didn't know what they were adding up to and where we were going with it it's there's a real collage feel to the whole thing I must say, I didn't feel that. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder how you felt, Ben, because, I mean, this is maybe we're knowing a little bit about The Sopranos, uh, um, you know, uh, features. Because I did, you know, I did feel that towards the end, you know, I almost looked at my watch, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, what what is your view, Ben? Yeah, I was I was happy to get lost in that in that world for an hour and a half as 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 a, as a super fan. I think I really appreciated how I think there must have been a huge temptation for a series that was that's really quick fire dialogue and, and humorous. I think there must and the 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 creators are quite quite big fans of um, Scorsese as well. I think it it could have mm. become easily become a mess. Whereas I, I appreciated how they were. They were trying to do something slow paced and build, and it and it and it, it seemed to avoid avoid cliche. I thought, which mm-hmm. which was uh, admirable, and it wasn't too focused on oh look how this kid turns um, psychopathic or, or anything like that. It was it was um, it, it, it held me for an hour and a half. Uh, but I do mm-hmm. think it is problematic for people unfamiliar with the series. I took my dad to see it, and he completely missed the end. He was like, oh, I can't wait any longer to go to the toilet, and he came in, <laughs> <laughs> and the credits were rolling. Like It didn't feel like it, it was building to anything, and he missed, he missed the whole point to it. I was thinking about it in relation, in relation to El Camino, which was the Breaking Bad movie they made after yeah. the series finished, because Breaking Bad is another, quote-unquote, great American TV series. It's one of these canonical, like, Mad Men, Sopranos, Breaking Bad, The Wire, like the big four. And it's one of the ones that I'm familiar with, I've seen. Um, and when the film came out, that's not a prequel, it's set after the end of the, of the series. I was thinking, why do we need to see any of this? Like, the series ended so well, what's this really adding? I don't need to know what happens to these characters afterwards. It just feels like a bit of a waste of my time. Um, I can see this having more purpose. It's like, because it's, it's the origin story, right? Like, the big guy, you know, this is where he comes from, although the focus is more on this uncle character. But that's the point, right? It's, mm. it's um, the world and the family he comes from and the things that kind of built him. Although I do think that if Michael Gandalf- Gandolfini were a better actor, as you suggested, I think they might have actually given him more to do and mm. it might feel like that link to the character you then see in the series might be stronger. Um... I don't know what you feel about that. Do you, I mean, how how strongly do you feel it links with the series? Do you think it's uh, not so much? How, how do you think it functions? Not as an introduction to the series, but as kind of scene setting. Um, I I, th- I, th- I think it's it's quite quite limited actually. It's it, 
I think there's only something here for the fans and, and the super mm. fans as well because there's there's a bit where Junior Corrado, um towards the end, spoiler alert, uh, slips and breaks his back, and then he create then you see him getting that distinctive walk, and I think they mentioned in the series how it might have been through right. a fight or something. So it's it's very it's it's almost like a, a collection of Easter eggs almost. I found <laughs> it was like here's a little hint about something that's going to happen later. Here's how um, yeah. why there's animosity between these certain characters. I I. I Without sounding too harsh, I felt like it was a television film. Really, it's it's for mm. the geeks, it's for the, the super yes. fans to to notice the 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 real to to find pleasure and joy in the in in the real um, nuanced and geeky stuff that is referenced at some point in series four and all and all this stuff. Mm. It doesn't. I don't know if it really stands up as a as a film. I think the writing is superb, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought it was like crackling and I was with it at all times. And I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, the characterizations were like were terrific. I thought the actors were terrific. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't agree about Michael Gandolfini. I thought he was Mm -hmm. fantastic, Mm -hmm. really. I I, I did think that um, Alessandro uh, Nivola, yeah, who played the lead, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Multisanti. I thought it was something kind of interesting about cinema in a way because I thought he was very good but he lacked charisma yeah there was Mm. something about Mm. the way that the light fell on his face Mm. that didn't hold you Mm. and if you don't cast a star in that part where actually so many of the other supporting characters are yeah Mm. you know they're kind Mm. of they're they're stars on television they're very charismatic you want to see what they do next Mm. you know and um, and the young woman who played that uh, the wi- you know the wife of uh, the old guy? I mean, she really was like Sophia Loren. You watch mm. her and you immediately go, um, you know, who's this person, right? Like you, you want to watch. She's mm. she's beautiful and sexy and you know, kind of you can see everything in her face. So when you have those kinds of actors, you know, that are very charismatic and you know the light hits on them properly, and they're also good performers. And then the central one mm. is. Mm. It's a problem for the project. Yeah. I know how you feel about Alessandro Nivella. We've seen him before. We saw him in Disobedience, which was that North London Jewish lesbian thing. Ah, yes, yes. And yes. he was very good in that. He was he was in you know rabbi sort yes. of garb, um, but he was extremely good. And there is something about seeing him here, clean shaven, doing the mob thing, that he's never not engaging or fun to watch. But he does lack that X factor mm-hmm. that makes him a captivating presence he mm. does like that somehow mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you Ben because you know you're the TV expert like you know about the relations between you know cinema and TV uh, I was looking at the director you know he's a director who's mainly worked on television yeah in a lot of very famous series Game of Thrones and he did Sopranos and so on but there is really something, and you know, I thought this before even knowing who directed it or what he'd done before, but there was something just that in the cinema you expected more. Yes, and, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what, you know, what is it? Is it that there's no long shots? Is that, that there's, you know, that, yeah, what is it about it? But it felt very televisual to me, yeah? It, uh, you know, it felt that, you were missing out on something that a big screen presentation could provide that wasn't being made here. I mean, you know, I'm not sure uh, uh, about this, but really, what did you think? Yeah, I I thought the same. I think The Sopranos was a series that really understood cinema. And, uh, you know, you think about uh, gangster films. It's a really saturated market and there's... They they created a TV show that understands that world, and there's a there's a lot of, there's a really good essay um, that talks about how Tony Soprano is inherently depressed and has problems because he can't be the 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 Godfather, or he 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 can't be. Uh, he talks about Gary Cooper a lot. He he can't be um, a cinematic gangster. Then there's often scenes of it that they're talking. They often talk about gangster films, and they'll show a shot of them watching a gangster films. And there's almost an acknowledgement there that they're in the real world and can't inhabit this visual way of expressing themselves and that's why he's um that's where a lot of the humor comes from why he has to explain to his daughter why he's suddenly got blood on his knuckles during a, a college visit and i felt the same i felt these these are these are essentially yeah television writers directors who know that the the cinematic screen gives you something a bit extra extra and i yeah i felt it wasn't 
in one way it was trying to be visual and I understood that. I felt that the the actually di- dialogue often could be quite quite minimal and subtle. Mm. It wasn't it it wasn't um, all you know quick fire jokes and witty dialogue and some you know bang bang bang. It was more it had had that bit of a, a, a that slower pace that you expect from cinema but yeah i think you're right i did i didn't you didn't see any compositions on on screen where you thought where, where it was telling you anything in addition to the dialogue i, I felt there wasn't well, that. also the poetic elements yeah the, mm-hmm. you know, the visual poetic elements so there are two scenes specifically which are referencing you know classic films i mean mike mentioned mm-hmm. this right the first scene is all about the godfather right one of the women is called apollonia and so on mm-hmm. and when you think of the wedding scene, yeah, at the beginning of The Godfather, and you compare this, you know, to the baptism or first communion scene in this, like, you know, it's not the visuals, yeah, or even the intercutting or, you know, so many things that you could do to kind of create tension and beauty and poetry and, yeah, connections mm-hmm. to the rest of the film. This film is doing none of that, really, yeah? Yeah. And the other was the Scorsese bit from Goodfellas, yeah, where, you know, kind of the shootout starts and they try to make it comic, right? Yeah, through the, the blood going on the mustard suit and then the wig, yeah? And actually you think here it's a question of rhythm and editing and, yeah, kind of, and, and it's not doing that either, really, yeah? So, and I think the references to those specific films, to me, brought out this film's lacks. Mind you, the shootout with... Uh, the the black gang in the street where they go behind the cars mm. that really worked for me mm. I thought that was great actually mm. and, th- and there's movement in that and the one character runs off and is he going to get shot mm. and the you know running out of bullets and all that and it had those little moments and it it really came together and so I do kind of agree the thing is there's a thing about the way that like American prestige TV looks which is different from how sort of cable drama looks you know and this is this has that look so it's not quite cinematic but it's a level above regular televisual if you if you get what i mean there is it's it's trying to do more with the image it's being a little braver with compositions and things like that but it's it does lack something um i don't even mean on the level of you know budget yeah or uh, a particular look right i meant actually you know but because to me you know great cinema there's something poetic about it yeah you know you are using visuals and light Mm. yeah and angles yeah, to mm. convey something that communicates something and maybe also stands for something else, right? Mm. Whereas actually this whole film, I feel, is driven by dialogue. The camera's mm. always following the dialogue or the action. Right? And which is a hallmark of television. Yeah. Dialogue rules. Mm. So, you know, I think this yeah. is... But I wouldn't be so brave as to say, oh, there's none of that, because the thing is, the Sopranos and the shows like it, they have books written about them, about the things that people see in them, the symbolism. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not making a case here you know, for cinema is better or kind of, you know, but this is better. But I think that, you know, they are different. They communicate differently. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you have 90 minutes or two hours to tell a whole story and create a whole world as opposed to having 10 seasons of The Sopranos Mm. to develop Mm. all of those things. All I mean is, though, it's just that um, we're right in our initial response to say, well, I felt a lack of poetry mm. here visually. But I bet you any money someone's going to be adding this to the next edition of their Sopranos book and they say, look at the links, look at the things it draws Of course, out. of course. You know what I mean? So, of course, I'm not saying this without... It, you know, yeah. I mean, here I'm talking about, is it a great movie? My answer is, no. no. This is the reason why. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, no, sure. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's without interest or, you know, that the fans won't find it interesting or that, you know, there's not connections to be made. Yeah, mm. I think, that, you know, it does all those things. And in fact, I think it is better than I think you you know, uh, uh, thing, because I do think the screenplay is fantastic. Yeah, so, I, uh, I mean, I think it is a good story to tell, and I think it does add something to this world. And I laughed, like, a, you know. It's very funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. I laughed constantly about unexpected yeah. things. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway, we've been talking too much, Ben. What are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, um, I, I, I did laugh uh, quite a bit. I love the scene where Ray Liotta, towards the start, Ray Liotta's getting killed by having his head repeatedly slammed into the the um, the, the car horn, and that that is that is classic Sopranos, really. Um, violence <laughs> that is quite quite um, difficult to watch is quite prolonged, drawn out, but also has this undercurrent of, of humour about it as mm. well. And Jose yelped. <laughs> I did, and I hit. My, there were many times where actually I covered my eyes. You know, uh, because 
yeah, in spite of what people think, I am sensitive to those things. Um, I also thought that particular thing didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because, you know, I can't imagine an Italian son doing that to his father. Mm-hmm. Or at least certainly not without narrative explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the links, the religion, the culture, the mother. I think all would dampen you know, the normal edible desire to do so. (laughs) Yeah, there are reasons why you don't kill your father even when, you know, you might be tempted to. And I think, you know, I think we needed more of a context or a background for that before I at least accept it as happening. I mean, obviously it happens, yeah, but I think it's kind of a, a kind of a narrative cheap shot, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the reason they did that it was to connect to the series. Probably when you when you look at the series, it's incredibly Freudian, and it's about mm. how Tony hate grew to hate his father and um, is intimidated by his mother. And I, I also I think it was trying to replicate the the gender politics as well. So there's a lot of good feminist essays that talk about the reason The Sopranos works is because you have a lot of yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't endorse that the, the misogyny around it what you have are a lot of really intelligent women who will reveal pieces of information to other women at a certain point to ensure that the men do what they want and you had mm-hmm. a bit of that there i think it was really calculated the way his um step stepmother um kissed him at a certain point to sort of plant mm-hmm. this idea in his mind to to um, sort of sow the seeds of discontent with his dad and his, his childhood. So I think it was th- thematically doing something in in, in um, relation to the series. But you're right, it did happen a bit a bit quickly um, and could have been fleshed out more in terms of plot and context. I think also the film structurally missed the point because I think what you're saying is so interesting and so true of the series, you know. But here, I you know that kind of woman's world and maneuvering through a woman's world and you know a woman's world also having uh, uh peoples of power yeah and action and yeah you don't get almost any interrelationship between the women actually actually yeah That's true. Mm-hmm. themselves it's always like the women in relation to the men right uh and actually there is a whole world that i think the film misses out on and had it succeeded in doing that you know if it had shown that well, we see a black, yeah, kind of culture of the period and the gangsterism and its relation to the Italian gangsters. I mean, that would have been very, very powerful stuff. I think they missed a, an opportunity there, actually. Yeah, definitely. I think there were maybe, um, obviously, the 60s, 70s was, was probably more of a man's world. And they, they I, I like how they had that, that element. But you're right, it would fail the Bechtel test. It, it, it missed out on an opportunity to be as, um, in, in terms of gender, be be as as interesting um definitely i was going to ask what what did you think about the sound design i, I don't know if, if i was no i think i i think that the sound mixing wasn't wasn't really that good i think it was intriguing what they did and it was interesting i felt that often i was having to lean in because the the the, the voices were, were quite quite quiet and there was there was a group of lads next to us who were huge fans of the sopranos and they weren't being particularly loud they were just sort of whispering and saying oh do you remember that bit and, and they weren't being antisocial, but it was almost drowning it out, and I was sort of having to pay real attention. Then there was a scene where the uh, the the main uh, I can't remember the main character's name, but he was having a falling out with with his wife, and they were they were shouting. It had like a tinny quality, and I thought, oh, maybe mm-hmm. there's something wrong with the the projection. And then suddenly at the end, the music was so loud, and it was really impactful. I thought, oh, that that must have been a conscious decision. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that un, undid the whole point of the film because it was like, oh, this is effectively. Um, it's it's like the opening scene in Goodfellas almost. It was the the whole point is the prelude up to this boom, uh, and yeah. then getting you back into the series. So I don't I don't know if that worked for me. It was interesting, but in our screening, I, I would say our screening was really beautiful. It was, I think it might be because of the subtitles. It was a digital projection because it had this, that is what brought the subtitles to it, and and because it was then digital it looked absolutely beautiful and i didn't notice anything with that respect with the sound although i did kind of think i'm glad this does have subtitles because i would miss some of these jokes would miss some of this dialogue there's a lot of uh, italian spoken and um and kind of sicilian slang that is just spelled out on screen when you've got the subtitles and that's very helpful because these would be things that i would be oh did i hear that right what am i supposed to be hearing you know what i mean mm-hmm. so that kind of actually made it easier well obviously subtitles make it easier to understand but it had it was very uh, useful, I suppose. I did think it was very heavy on Foley, the sound mix. 
I mean, mm. I, man, it's just there's a lot of footsteps on gravel paths yeah. and guns cocking yeah. and stuff, and they're very present in your ears. I mm. think maybe that has something to do with. And actually, the subtitle print makes that even more obvious because it's constantly telling you, you know, footprints on grass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were proper closed caption subtitles with all of that, yeah. I must say that I love the music and the choices mm. of the music, you know, and the way that they periodize it. I thought actually they were really inventive, right, you know, to have like uh, Neil Diamond and Van Morrison, yeah, along with all the black groups and to kind of, you know, make Miles Davis of a feature. Yeah, it's very different than the choices that you would get, say, from a Scorsese, you know, where it would be like Bobby Darren and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's a kind of almost like a different vocabulary. I think this is much truer to period. Yeah, mm. you have Sinatra, but you have maybe one of his worst songs. Yeah, like, mm. you know, but that was the hit of 67. So it's doing a, a function of periodizing rather than, you know, getting you to buy the album. Yeah, it's, you know, I thought I, I really loved the soundtrack. Yeah, that was great. That that's something that's often praised about the series as well. The the, the interesting mm-hmm. songs they often chose at the end of each episode, and that the, when they they chose they famously chose a song by John Cooper Clark, the the Manchester poet, and that like brought his career back to life. The fact it was used at such a key moment and worked so well, and I really liked the music during the race riots. Actually, it really added a sense of mm. um, tension. And yeah. the Gil Scott Heron poem. Yes. yes, that's the one. Yeah, that's that spoken wonderful. over it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. that was that was actually. I thought, oh, here's here's something that's not televisual. You know, I mean, you might get it on a experimental sort of episode of the show, but I, it doesn't seem like something you would normally get. Was it felt like taking a break from from the story for a minute to just yeah. set this scene? Actually, I wanted to ask. I suppose it relates to um, what I wanted to ask, which was, do we think that? it was actually doing anything that interesting with the setting in, in racial tension and the race riots mm-hmm. um, and with the black gang versus the Italian gang. Um, my estimation, despite that scene, which I really liked, is that mostly it wasn't and most of the setup was a bit simple, a bit obvious maybe. I think one of the things that, I mean, I, I love that. Yeah, it's a way of reclaiming that history, really, and of, you know, representing it, and also of contextualizing. So for me, it had the effect of, you know, bringing black power into it, Mm. right? Uh, Yeah, and that moment, yeah, where you're saying black is beautiful, and we can do this, and no, yes, and Vietnam, yeah, we're good for cannon fodder, but not good for civil rights. All of that is can be read into it, right? But then if you're reading it, into the series, the, yeah, what comes after, then you see that this was a moment. This was all yeah. dampened down. This was all mm. incorporated, right? Yeah, this illusion of, of progress, of taking what's yours and so on, yeah, kind of dissolves, yeah, later on by the 80s and mm. so on. It's taking this, this black gang and, and the, the, um, the leader of the gang, in particular, Harold, is, is all about, I'm going to do this for myself. No more working for the Italian-American gangsters. It treats me like a Pullman porter. It's a very right. resonant phrase. Setting up my own gang to the point where when they interrogate the, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but the one where they take his teeth out and end mm. up shooting him, um, the whole point of that is that he reveals that Harold was working for himself. He wasn't told to kill whoever it was by someone else. He was doing it for himself. And that's a big deal mm. to uh, Dick, the, the main character. You know, he, he's, he's quite stunned by that. And then you also have the Italian woman, the wife, yes. who comes over and she wants to set up her own business. She wants to do things for herself and so on. And so you have these two, you have basically a, a kind of a racial underclass and a sexual underclass, I suppose, working, fighting for their own right to do things that the men are always in charge of. And I suppose the way that the men react, mostly in the person of Dick, is just by lashing out and killing people left, right and centre. Mm. I suppose it makes sense. He, he has no. He, he, that's the only way he reacts to things. He kills people quite a lot, and and without with much thought or remorse. I suppose when he kills his dad, it's accidental, but he is beating the fuck out of him. And when he kills uh, the the mistress, um, the dad's. I hated wife. that moment, by the way. I thought that was another moment that made me think. You know, if you're making a movie, you need to do better with this death scene. Mm. Yeah, because those waves, the dress, the strangling, the water. It had the potential to communicate so much, and there was clearly no thought about what visuals 
could communicate to this particular scene. It was just, you know, I would I could have shot that better than this filmmaker. Mm. You know, I think an amateur would have really. Uh, um, it's, it's a really key moment in the film, and it's just thrown away, really. But he kills these two people that are important to him, and and well, I suppose he has remorse because then he wants to do these good deeds, and that's when he meets or he has met. Uh, his dad's brother, who's also played by Rayleigh Otter, and I thought it's great Rayleigh Otter's playing a different type of character. I mean, I thought he was really good as the brother. Yes. Um, and the brother's Wonderful. this kind of this kind of guru Buddha figure who's been in prison mm. for 20-odd years for doing murder, and he's, he's a really bizarre presence. I really liked him. Mm. Uh, and he Im- immediately works out that Dick has murdered these people. It's so obvious. Those scenes were really funny as well, I thought. I thought that yeah. you don't usually see Rayleigh Otter in that sort of role. You usually see him in the... The, the the other brother where he's you know turning everything up to eleven and losing it and then to yeah to, that dialogue was fantastic. But even in that earlier role, he was funny. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, in yeah, a completely yeah. different way, I thought. You know, I love that. Well, but, the thing about sorry, I just finished. Yeah. But, um, so the thing about when he gets to to the brother and the brother becomes this kind of guru and he wants to do these good deeds and and he he opens up to the brother about this. There's a lot of. Um, the thing about the TV series that I kind of centrally know, because it's all about the first episode, the first episode is all about it, is that Tony Soprano's seeing a psychiatrist, right? And that's a kind of like this central, I suppose, emasculating thing for him. If anyone found out, he'd be mocked or, or whatever else, maybe. Something probably a lot worse. Um, and there is a lot of people opening up to each other in this, or at least trying to. It happens quite a few times with the young Tony. He's trying to talk to people. He has that conversation with Dick, where Dick's scolding him for not working very hard and stuff. And as he leaves, Tony reveals that he's very worried about being killed like his family member was. And there's the scene with the teacher. Mm. Same thing happens with the teacher. And then she's opened up to... And it feels it feels like, again, this is someone who comes from no real experience with the show, feels like it's trying to draw a very clear link between all these people trying to talk about their problems and trying to open up to each other as... Tony is sort of, I suppose, doing in the show. I mean, you know a lot better than I do how it goes. Um, but not quite being able to, you know? And and ultimately, it, it ends up with Dick in particular. He's lashing out, and then the, the, the remorse and the opening up sort of comes afterwards. I think these are all questions for you, Ben, and I think <laughs> we're not taking advantage of you properly, you know, because you are an expert on the show. So it might be a good idea to go through the characters, the situations, or, you know, you said you were sitting next to all of those Soprano fans that were reacting in a particular way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. take us through that. Yeah, what ways, which characters, what connections do you see? Yeah, sure. So, um, I th- well, I think I think Mike's on on the money there. Really, the the uh, one reason that the show is considered to be fairly um, feminist to a degree is because you have Tony in in a, in a powerful woman's office, uh, and he's he's framed like a little kid. This big skulking man is is sat down and having to um, expose his feelings in himself. Uh, so th- there's definitely, um, yeah, I totally agree with what you what you said. Um, what a lot of fans were laughing about, but I feel a lot of general fans were weren't laughing about, was the way Silvio is portrayed, and that it just didn't work for me. That that's the character with the hair coming off, and he mm. he, was, he was almost the character's trying too hard. He was he was gurning, and he had he had the same walk. And there's towards the end where he walks towards the end of the warehouse door to to open it to see the kids still there. Like the the collection of fans chuckled, and they were saying, "Oh wow, he's really captured." the same walk but I don't it didn't really add anything it felt like he was he was a he was an actor and a character from something completely different where everyone's overacting into this fairly realistic world and it just mm. it just just clashed for mm. me really that was that was that was what I thought I thought oh that's interesting that that's just just something that isn't really working is is working for the fans but not to not for the for the general fans um mm. I thought and some of the other characters I really liked Junior Soprano, actually. He, uh, I, I thought that... I, I can't remember the actor's name now. He brought a real sort of energy and fierceness. And, Michael uh, was, Soprano, I think. Is it? The no, 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 sorry. No, it's Junior. not the son. It's the guy who breaks his back, isn't it? Yeah, ah, yeah. Corey yeah, yeah. Stoll. Yeah. He was wonderful, yes. Corey Stoll. Yeah, that's right. I was, yeah. I was looking for it here. He, he was really good. Yeah, he was the looking Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the interplay between mother, mother and Tony, actually, you could really see the beginnings of that relationship mm. forming because mm. um, the series, yeah, they do cut back to these uh, these scenes when he was a kid now and again. But here, it, 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 I think it made it a bit more complex, actually, um, in a way. In the series, she's this terrible mother and, and they hate each other and she uh, 
tells someone to have Tony killed because he's not not respecting her. Whereas <laughs> here, here you see a lot of actually, I would say a lot of um, affection for him in a way, and mm. not really knowing how to um, express that. There's there's a lot of that in the series as well. The sort of intergenerational, we don't know how to talk to our kids or discipline them in the right way. You see a mother who who cares, and I thought that was really fascinating conversation between her and the teacher, where the teacher's saying, you know, he's really smart and he, mm. he can go a long way, and she she doesn't really know how to acknowledge that. Like she almost talks him down in a way because they can't really expect to have those aspirations given where they are mm. in society. So I thought that, that really added, uh, it, it opened a window quite quite well when you only get mm. glimpses in the series without, like I say, completely mm. ruining the backstory and making it cliched and ridiculous. And You know, I, you can go, I think you could go back to that film again um, as a fan. Um, you know, mm. you, it makes you want to watch the series again. It's 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 almost like an advert for the series, in mm. a way. The um the young Tony is quite vocal at one or two points about not wanting to join the family's legacy of crime. He mm. wants to go things straight, and there's this whole thing about wanting to be a pro footballer and so on. But then obviously we know that that's not going to be what happens, and I suppose that's crystallised by this thing about accepting the stolen speakers from his uncle. Does that make sense yeah. to you? Like that, that, that the young Tony would be like that. That's who he was initially, and that he would fall into the family's ways nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That uh, a lot of what he talks to Doctor Melfi about in the series is the first time he realised his dad was a gangster and how he passed out when he first saw um, some blood and a piece of violence and started to negotiate and work out who he was. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that would definitely be a. It's difficult because you spent so long with um, James Gandolfini and mm. who he is in that moment. It's it's hard to think. Well, would he necessarily be like that as a child? Mm. He mm. he really. Some of the best scenes is is when his his child, uh, Sir Anthony Soprano Jr., grows up and he just doesn't understand him. And there's this amazing scene in the series where his son's on in his pants on MSN Messenger laughing, and it just cuts to him like l- looking at his son with utter contempt he just doesn't mm. understand this this world where they're all talking to each other through online and laughing mm. and he thinks his son's too weak and yeah i can i can kind of it's hard it's actually quite hard to imagine him as that innocent and uh, and, and young i would say actually you expect mm. perhaps a bit more no, of he, a... he's never quite innocent right like so there is this mm. on the one hand i think that the film posits this let's protect him let's not turn him into a gangster Mm. Yeah, but actually you could see that even though he's very appealing and affectionate and so on, that it's almost like he's born that way. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. given all these different options, he always takes the easy one, right? <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. he's really prone to violence. I mean, you know, wh- wh- the scene where he's in the phone booth trying to get his uncle, and it were actually where you realize that the girl he's with will become his wife, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh I mean, yeah, that jumping into violence, or yeah. So I think actually the film does show you that there is something in this kid from the very beginning that makes him ideal for you know a couple, <laughs> right? Like yeah. uh, the running numbers at school as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, There's a whole the, one of the key threads throughout the series is is this guy uh, towards the end, especially Dr. Melfi is has her run therapist who she sees and they're sort of sort of debating you know is this guy actually manipulating you is this psychiatrist is he is he a <laughs> psychopath and and she decides to drop him as a client towards the end because she re- she she feels actually quite threatened that he might have been playing this game all all along um what's mm. interesting i suppose yeah I, i'm just sort of thinking out loud what's also interesting about the the character in the series is that he really cares about animals often you know uh so mm. he somebody who could kill their, their nephew without thinking about it often the you know the cliche trope is oh well a psychopath you first realize they're a psychopath when they start as a kid torturing animals whereas one of the reasons tony kills people uh kills R- ralph in the series is because he killed didn't look after his horse and he's really <laughs> um angry about it the first reason he has a panic attack in the first episode is because his his ducks fly away and he feels a sense of mm. loss so i do think there is yeah it's an interesting uh a complex character so that there are elements of him being able to turn on the violence and being hot-headed and at the same time being quite um really valuing certain uh well values really and mm. uh, close relationships so yeah the the throwing of the speakers is perhaps where he first um starts to feel damaged and let down um in a way that mm. takes him on this journey I'm, um, it was yeah, it was an interesting scene. Picking up from the psychiatrist in the series, that's such a 
structuring element in the series as a whole. It opens up avenues of discussing the action and the self, yeah, that add a layer to the television series. Um, do you see an equivalent in the film? And if not, what do you think is lost? I guess I was left wanting more of mm. of, of Tony Soprano. He's, I, f- I felt like the director was often capturing uh, my... Yeah, capturing his uh, the new actor, his son, from a certain angle because it's almost like I felt if oh yeah, if you're capturing from this from this low angle from a bit of a distance while he's pulling this certain face, he looks a lot like his dad. Let let's let's get a lot of, a lot of that. I, I didn't feel like on the one hand that works because the whole point about the Sopranos is that he's learning to express himself and talk about his feelings, and it's a dialogue that he's never had. But at the same time, I didn't really see the Tony Soprano here who was um, as 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 he ex- he can express himself a certain way around men and he's really funny and can and really has a good sense of timing and um is really t- really intelligent and quick-witted um around men in the series don't necessarily see that i think as when he's as as, as a as a young man i mean part he's not even the main character in the film is he we're, we're seeing no. the 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 environment he's brought up in i i guess there was a equivalent the, the nearest equivalent is him um opening up only, they often say, don't they? His his uncle is the only one who can talk to him, and the only one he mm-hmm. listens to. Mm-hmm. And then the fact, uh, and then that relationship is completely broken. So maybe that's mm-hmm. telling us telling us something. But I'm not sure what the nearest equivalent would be. Maybe trying to open up to his mum, and his mum just you know casting mm-hmm. him to one side, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I, I I thought one of the interesting things, you know, because one of the one of the things I loved about James Gandolfini is that he had this energy. Right, it was just, yeah, so it wasn't just that he was, like, intelligent. It was, like, physically, yeah, he had this energy. I think a little bit like Cagney, actually, that they used to say that, like, Cagney displaced air. Yeah, he was, like, so electric that, yeah, like, the air. And actually, I think James Gandolfini had a bit about that. And actually, this character has none of it at all. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. He's very placid, mm. yeah? So, you know, you're shown his intelligence, you're shown his violence, but there's actually a kind of a... a a physical placidity, yeah, that is very unlike uh, uh, the soprano that you see in the series that he will grow into. I thought it was um, interesting that you said you thought he he played a good part because whenever I think of James Gandolfini, you know, he's he's like royalty out there. He's compared to the greats. My, he, he's he, oh, and I I think rightly so. James Gandolfini, he's on the same level as Brando, yeah, for De Niro, sure. Cagney, and that is difficult shoes to fill. For his son, who's not really acted in anything, and I did. I, maybe I just had my expectations too high. Uh, I think you might have, because I thought he was good. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, and this is actually more a question, maybe of personality than of performance. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I think he definitely did not uh, vibrate on screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know it was his son until the credits rolled, ah, okay. um, and and. Up until then, I had been thinking, oh, they've made sure to find someone who looked like James Gandolfini, <laughs> um, which is why he's a little bit limited, I did think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you reveal that, oh, it's actually his son, and so that the choice is kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've decided that he that we can go with him. But I do wonder whether there was a better actor out there. Mm. <laughs> On the other hand, he had the presence that the lead lacked. Yes, yeah, to, a point. to a point. Yeah, but, yeah. There, were, there, was, there was something about him he did keep he did feel like he was quite sinister and but i wasn't sure whether that was you know everyone working really hard around him to set up this scene rather than <laughs> him yeah. as an actor making really good um choices and having instinct it's it can be difficult to tell and you're not expecting him to be like the complete tony soprano from the start no. the whole thing no. is it's, it, it's how he's going to become that but i do also think there's too little change i mean is there really any change in him from the beginning to the end you know, the, I, th- I I get the feeling that like there's another prequel available oh, for yeah. to show him developing into the modern day gangster that we saw. Sure, um, I mean he's very young here, mm. and to be fair to him, he only plays what the last third of mm. the character, which is a su- supporting part to begin with, yeah, right? Because you know a younger actor plays the first half of the film or whatever, so. You know, he. I. I like seeing him. He is in no way a, a major problem for me. Um, a much bigger problem 
is the lead. <laughs> yeah, mm. because I do think that is almost like a charisma-free zone, and that is a problem <laughs> in the film. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, if you if you think of what Ray Liotta brings mm. in his brief sequences, that's what you mm. want the lead of a film to bring, mm. right? And and so it's a real problem when there's a vacuum there. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. I think I think maybe I'm thinking about the. The advertising, um, the 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 the, uh, the advert I saw at the cinema uh, when I for, for this a few weeks ago was very much centered around you know it's Michael Gandolfini mm. and it was written, there was a lot of loud music and it was and I, I thought I was being sold a series and then it, oh, mm. oh no actually it's it's just a prequel so I think I think I, I think it worked I think whatever was going on um, he works as as a character you believe you you believe in him but um, yeah obviously. James Gandolfini will always be a complete powerhouse of a mm. of an actor who will always be remembered. But actually, I, I I mean I don't want to belabor this point too much. But I would also say that the guy who played Soprano's father, yeah, who was mm. he was the lead in I forget which television show, one of the oh the Walking things. Dead, oh John Bernthal, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, he's so charismatic, right? Mm. You can't, yeah, he's he's wonderful and brief. The guy also who who falls on his own, <laughs> yeah, he's very charismatic. Yeah, mm. Uh, mm. the wife, I think also, and certainly the girlfriend, right, who mm. is like a, a sex bomb. She's wonderful. Mm. So. I think I think it's a real problem. Forrestal's <laughs> character engineering uh, Dick's death didn't ring true to me. I, I, I accepted it because the thing that happens and maybe it's something that's referenced in the show and that's why it winds up in the film, I don't know. Um, but it did feel like, like basically his problem with Dick was that Dick laughed at him when he fell and broke his back. Are these people, do these people really have that short a temper? That, and the thing is, at least when Dick kills people, it's like there's a heat of the moment thing going on. You know, and like I say, with his dad, it was just, it was heat of the moment that he was beating him up, but it was an accident that he killed him. It wasn't an accident that he killed uh, the mistress, but it was heat of the moment. Whereas the the junior character, it's premeditated. He gets someone to take out a hit. And like, is there enough reason for that? Yes. Even in the world of the gangsters? Yes. Mm. I it think does so. Ha- it, it does happen in the first series as well. I think these gangsters need to bloody grow up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I think that happens in real life. You're, you, you are removing someone's dignity from them in public. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and people yeah. take those things very seriously, that you have to be respectful. Maybe it could have been communicated a little bit more richly, cinematically, the how... how Yes. Yeah. I think the film missed a real opportunity, you know, because what I was waiting for the film to show us was that the guy who killed him was his nephew. Yeah. Because yeah. the way cool. that you're shown is you're not shown the face, mm. you don't know who does it, right? So to have revealed that it was the nephew who did it would have had it such a... It would have brought so many things together in the film, actually. Yeah, the uncle's disdain, the ignoring him, the... Yeah? Mm. So... But no, we still don't know. Do you think it would have made sense <laughs> to for, for young Tony to have done it? Yes. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I already <laughs> think it doesn't make sense that Junior ordered the hit. I think it would have been wildly like for me to for me to buy that Tony was willing to do it just after being ignored by his uncle. Well, yes. For two days. I mean, what do you think, Ben? You're the expert. What? what yeah, I, I, th- I think I think that definitely would would have worked. It was it was the way the way he touches the the, the ring with his little finger at, at the mm. end. That's obviously a, a nod to the Godfather and the the mm. kissing of the ring. I I, I, I feel that, yeah, it, it it definitely could have worked, and it probably would have told us more about mm. the building of this mm. this the, the the foundations of this character who goes who goes on to be a you know a really incredible. Businessman and uh, mafia head, mm. a don. Yeah. Um, w- w- we don't we don't quite see a lot of that actually. We 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 see that we see a lot of like you say the charismatic characters around him and the the mm. universe he he, um, he grows up in and you know by mm. by osmosis that he he inhabits a lot of that. But we don't really see him being as um, you know making those actions and i i could have i could have totally believed it it was it was sort of hinted that he he didn't he was maybe quite happy with with the uncle being passing on but he mm. you know where was that where was that where was that shift where was that that that, that change where he can yeah. do what is required it, it it could have worked it would have worked i do think there's a there's a version of this film which is explicit about tony being the murderer at the end the assassin at the end that would have made sense but it would have needed to put all sorts of other things in place, I think, before that to yeah. show the potential. I'm not sure that would have worked in this version of this film, if you like. Mm. Yeah, I can see it working in a different... I could see it working. Yeah. Um, 
I do feel there might be a sequel on the way, depending on how it does. It feel like there was a lot of <laughs> stuff that wasn't told that we we didn't see that that happens between yes. that and the the film. But what's interesting is now TV have seen I think it's a hundred and twenty percent increase in the amount of people watching The Sopranos because there's mm. a pandemic and it's one of those series whereby yeah. people say, "Oh, I never got around to seeing this," and it is landing with the next uh, generation. And also, apparently, it's been Googled three times more than usual through the course of the pandemic mm. so they clearly see have seen a business opportunity to make this and possibly another yeah. one i do i do mm. get quite wary about them ruining the mythology of it and the legacy mm. of it if they reveal too much it's a very it's very difficult to tread isn't it you know we can't show too much well we don't want to ruin everything but mm. there was I, a thing I, 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 I read recently i think it was on a podcast someone was talking about james gandolfini was paid some five million dollars not to do a, a, a gangster role in a film or something like that because and he was paid by HBO because they wanted to protect him as Tony Soprano mm. so clearly they they understand the power of the, the character and the value of him yeah. that they would pay James Gandolfini that much to not do something mm. yeah yeah that's a good point but unlike other things Star Wars Marvel I I, I don't understand how you could characterise you know, the Sopranos as a particular universe or a world in the sense that it's so rooted in East Coast American gangsterism, right? I mean, you know, if you really wanted to to do it again, you could move it to a different town, <laughs> you know, in New York or Jersey or whatever, you know, and come up with, like, uh, you know, another uh, mafia family. So, so I think, like... You know the, these dangers of ruining it or protecting the world. I mean, I can understand why HBO paid mm. uh, Gandolfini at that time. Just the same way that Disney had to veto every Haley film, every Haley Mills film, because she has a star persona, and you don't want to ruin, you know, the business on the next film if she plays a teenage prostitute all of a sudden, right? Like, yeah, there are you. You are protecting the character, mm. yeah, uh, and you're protecting, you know, the franchise in a way. Yeah, but you know the 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 world itself is you know a very recognizable world from other media, yeah, and from other characters. I think what was maybe a little bit uh, different about the Sopranos, and again, I, I turn to you, Ben. I'm not sure, is the tone. Mm. And I wonder what what your thoughts on about the tone of the Sopranos, and actually, you know, whether it has any similarities to the film that we've just seen. In terms of tone, it was it was it was quite quite a shift, actually. It, it felt the well the pacing is something different, but it was it was quite it was quite quieter, long drawn out. I think I think the tone, you know, so The Sopranos is one of the funniest things that was on TV. That's why it was such a hit. It's, mm-hmm. This this film did did make me laugh out loud, and it did have humour. But um, in terms of tone, it, it maybe wasn't as impactful or as um, dynamic or as loud or uh, I don't know it, it felt like it was over the course of the whole Sopranos it is it's quite a what was interesting about the Sopranos is that someone can watch an episode in isolation and be completely drawn in by the characters and the the story arc of that particular episode and the quandary that Tony's having to to face which is to a degree wrapped up but you also get so much pleasure in seeing all the episodes whereas I don't think it had the same um yeah, I, I don't think it was in terms of tone. I don't think it was necessarily as cutting. This is very much mm. a period piece um, in the seventies. The, the, yeah, there's they're, they're some real bad dudes, and but it, it felt quite removed from um, one of the be- one of the best episodes is where, or one of the most impactful episodes is in the first series where Tony he takes his daughter on a college trip and ends up strangling this guy to death because he happens to see him across the canteen and he has to do it in secret and then hide it from his. <laughs> From his Sorry. from his family, I think yeah, the tone it wasn't as necessarily um, cutting, sarcastic, witty. Um, mm-hmm. or, no, I know yeah. what you mean. I, it's funny what you say about um, about getting drawn into just the complete arc of one episode because I can honestly say that the reason I've never stuck with the show past the first episode mm. is because the first episode I watched it about three times. Mm. It feels so complete. That yeah. I, could, I watch it going, I'll watch The Sopranos now, and then I watch the first episode and I go, oh, that's the whole story. <laughs> like, it just yeah. feels like I get this character and everything about him from episode one, and I don't feel the need to see episode two. It's really, and I know that I have to eventually see it. Um, 
that's 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 a huge a lot of people go through that actually i, I did myself yeah. I, I saw the episode a couple of times before i because you, you see the amount of episodes involved but also it, it neatly wraps up at the end yeah I, I think people have either really invested in it and seen loads of episodes or they they've tried it and not <laughs> you know persevered through because it's you, you, yeah you get it straight away but i totally get what you mean about about the tone here lacking something i think it's it's partially the slowness but i think it comes down actually to what you were saying jose about james gandolfini his presence mm. his presence in the show at least in the episode i've seen and the few clips around you know he has that energy and he has that edge and you feel like things are a little bit dangerous or something whereas here i mean despite the fact that so many people die and they die very surprisingly and shockingly and you don't you don't necessarily see it coming someone just walks up and shoots someone in the back of the head it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's a dangerous or surprising world that we live in, or one that you, you have to be on your toes, that kind of thing. And that's, from my brief impression of the show, that's something that the show does communicate. It, mm. it feels a little. It feels a little blank here. That tone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You you can look at someone in the in the, in the wrong way, or say something with in 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 the slightly wrong tone, and. You yeah. have yeah, you, it, it can be a life or death decision, and you have people constantly watching themselves and trying to work out who what they can say in front of other people. Yeah, where, whereas here, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't have that 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 mm. impact or that 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 bite in in, in the same way. I thought the the scene where yeah the uh, the guy that gets shot in the Vietnam recruitment office it, mm. it, yeah it, mm. it 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 doesn't lack. It was quite gratuitous and and, and quick and loud and and shocking. But not to the same degree where you're like, "Wow, what did I yeah. just see?" You sort of accept it's part of the world and it moves on to the next, to the next yeah. scene. It's the way it was filmed because I thought the concept mm. was brilliant, mm. actually. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's just you know it, the way that it was filmed. I think it didn't draw out the full impact mm. of what the situation yeah. uh, mm. required. Um, but this is maybe beating a, a dead horse. So, I, just want to say, I, I, I think I think that is what I didn't get on with with Corey Stoll ordering the assassination of of, of uh, Dick. I think that's what I didn't get on with because I've just said that this is a world where people can die in a moment's notice, and we see that throughout the film. So you're right to say, you know, of course it makes sense it would happen, but I didn't feel that. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't feel like. It had been communicated. It had been set up tonally that this was a present, all ever-present mm. danger, mm. you know. So I think if it had been, then when you see those shots from basically the POV of Corey Stoll on his back, looking up at Alessandro Nivola, laughing at him, you know, had had it been set up, I would have felt, oh, this man's going to die. Mm. You know. I mean, I think the film does set it up yeah. in dialogue, yeah, but it doesn't do so kind of visually or rhythmically, yeah, because. There's the look that he gives when the guy laughs. Yeah. Then there's the conversation with the wife, and mm. yeah, and then he can't fuck. <laughs> like you know, which and he blames him for it. Yeah. I mean, you do get accumulation of elements, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so so, but it's just the way that it's shown. Would you recommend it to someone who's not seen the series? I, I yes. don't know that I would. Oh, you would. <laughs> I, I would. Yes, yeah. I would. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I found it entertaining. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I found it funny. I love that young Italian, that young actress who plays the the Italian bride. Let me find her. Yeah, we must find her name. Not mentioned her. And and I love Ray Liotta. Yeah, I mean it's a fantastic duo performance. Mm. So to me, Mm. all of those things is a good enough reason to see the film. I mean, it's sometimes very easy to say, oh well, you know, it's not this and it's not that and it's not a masterpiece and whatever. Mm. But you know, Mm. I think I I really enjoyed watching it. So. Good, because I'm just so entrenched in the, the series and the fandom. I thought, you know, I'm getting something out of this. But if you don't know any of the characters, is is it create is it creating enough for you? I suppose that's that's the mm. question for for Mike. For really. Mike, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, before I answer it, I can tell you that Giuseppina, the uh-huh. uh, the Italian wife, is played by Michaela De Rossi. Fantastic, and Michaela, she's you're a star. <laughs> she's got amazing hair. <laughs> um, I would say, as someone who doesn't know the show, this is not something that makes me want to watch the show. Ah, the reasons wow. that I want to watch the show are pre-existing, yeah. and they haven't changed. Mm. But this mm. doesn't enhance any of them really. That's um, interesting. It's, yes. I don't. It's not particularly rewarding for me. I, I laughed. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the film. I was. I mm. was with the film, uh, despite the fact I felt it maybe lagged a little, and I wanted to know where it was going and so on. I was with every scene individually, and I liked a lot of the dialogue. I was with most of the performances. It got a lot. I laughed. Corey Stoll 
when uh, when uh, uh, John Bernthal gets out of prison and he sees the black family's moved into the, to the street, and John and he, and he basically looks at Corey Stoll and Corey Stoll goes, "You're looking at me for? I've got the biggest laugh out of me." I thought it was a brilliantly the, the timing on the delivery of that line was perfect. Really, really funny film. Um, but I, it feels to me like a separate concern almost to The Sopranos because I don't know The Sopranos and it is not something that on its own makes me interested to see The Sopranos. But would you recommend it as a film? I mean, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was much better than, than All Right, really. Uh, I would recommend it. Mm. So, All right. Well, on that note, Great. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having uh, me. Yeah. Lo lovely to have you, Ben. Um, so uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, mm -hmm. SoundCloud, and YouTube. Our social media is Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thanks again, Ben. Bye bye, Ben. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>